0: Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Um, Welcome to Eastgate. I'm not the normal pastor. Uh, I'm a fill-in pastor for today. So if this is your first Sunday, not only is it a little different than It normally is. It's very, very, very different. Um, Friday, what, Friday night, about half the people that were on the stage just now had no idea that we were going to be playing these songs. Friday night, I had no idea I was preaching. Uh, I was supposed to be in the drum kit, so I was at least vaguely familiar with the songs. This morning when I woke up, I had no idea that I would be playing the guitar. But I got here with some practice left to go, and so I got conscripted. Um, but it's a blessing to get to worship however we can worship. Pastor Jonathan, the Combs family is, is all away, actually. They're, they're doing the same scramble at, at the Wilson campus. Um, I don't know if he's, he's kept y'all up to speed with his Uncle Donnie. Um, he's having some very, very, very severe health issues. Uh, he's been on a ventilator for 10 days, and I learned during coronavirus pandemic that you can only be on a ventilator for 10 days. They have to take you off at 10 days. So today is day 10. So they're going to take him off one way or the other. And the family wanted to be there with him. If he wakes up, they wanted to be there with him if he graduates. And so we support them in that. So that's part of what the scramble is this morning. Um, the, the sermon that I have prepared, I've never prepared a sermon by myself before. I had no, no preaching team help on this one, and I'll try to do them proud, but if there's some rough edges or if I say some crazy stuff, y'all know me, so it's likely. <laughs> um, the thing that—let's just take a second to pray for the Combses, actually, if you don't mind. Father God, I just ask that you be with our the most of our pastoral staff that, that today is going to find out whether or not you're graduating somebody that they love very much. I just ask that you put peace in their heart, knowing that your plan is good, knowing that your plan is pure. And I ask that you give us strength as we're now, as I'm making it up. I just ask that you let me get out of the way. And that you speak, because I don't have anything to say that's greater than what you have to say. We love you so much. Amen. The, the thing that struck me when I was talking to Stephen, I got a call. I, we were talking before service. Like he, he texts me. He doesn't call me. So when he called me, I was like, oh, this is not good. Um, and then right after he called me, Finney, Pastor Jonathan, called uh, um, but what struck me is both of them, when they were talking about the situation and their uncle, they both had assurance in his faith that it almost was just like a finding out what happens next. There's no, There wasn't a sense of dread with either one of them, because I'm sure they'd, they'd love to have their uncle around a little longer, but they know they're just taking a break, a hiatus, if, if he's graduating until they get to see him again, and... It struck me that that faith, that assurity of faith is so powerful in so many ways. And it's not something that we in American culture really have. Even in the church, a lot of people's faith is shaky or sometimes it's made up. And so we were supposed to start a new series today, but they said, we're not starting the series, we'll start it next week. So you just get to preach on whatever you want to preach on which is the most terrifying thing you can say to anybody. But it struck me that there are people in my life that when they pass away, I won't see them anymore. It struck me that a lot of my family, I can't say the same faith Statement that they were able to say about their uncle. And that's a huge weight on my shoulders. And it struck me that a lot of them would say they have faith, but the faith that they have is something that they've just sort of made up. So whenever I go into a conversation with somebody about faith, I always try to gauge where they are in terms of their Christian faith because if somebody doesn't believe God exists at all, there's not really a lot of point in me like referencing the Bible because they would just say, "Well, it's a book some people made it up and it's, you know, mythology or whatever." But if they believe there is a God, but they believe, you know, Jesus is just some guy, well, that's a different conversation. If they believe Jesus is the Savior, but they believe the Bible is made up by people, that's a different conversation. And so I found these three questions to be very helpful in gauging, um, the conversation and, and the way it, it, it was going to go. The first one is, is God real? The second one is, who is Jesus? The third one was, what is the Bible? And by having somebody answer those questions, I could tell where their faith was in relation to my faith. So, those are the questions. Ironically, there's three of them. Sorry about that. I know you always get three steps or three points or whatever. And when they gave me, uh, when they gave me carte blanche to do whatever I wanted to do, somehow I managed to end up with a three-point sermon preaching on the Great Commission. So, I'm a stereotype. Sorry. God's desire, He has a desire for our faith. In Matthew he tells us what it is. So if you turn in your biblical device, there's no slides, there's no, there's no words on the screen today. So if you, you tend to use the training wheels too bad, you're, you're out of your comfort zone today too. I always use the training wheels. So Fortunately, I brought my biblical device today. Go therefore, oh sorry, I should tell you where you're supposed to go. Go therefore to Matthew 28. <laughs> Verse 19, it's the Great Commission, it's right at the end of Matthew. It's probably one of the scriptures you've heard a whole bunch. Incidentally, I landed on a lot of scriptures that are going to sound familiar to you today, and I did it on purpose because I wanted to point out that you don't have to dig into some weird, obscure, like, Deuteronomy text to get the Bible. Like, you don't have to have that that level of knowledge to understand what God wants in our faith. So verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God bless the reading of his word. So all three of those questions that I had a while ago get answered in this little snippet of text, which is ironically our instructions. So the first one is that God is real. Is God real? Yes, that's the first question. Is God real? Yes, God is real. He gets referenced right there, baptizing them in the name of the Father. So Jesus is citing God's reality as though he just kind of, he doesn't like try to prove it there. He just sort of cites it. Of course God's real. Now go baptize people in God. So one of the things that I have to do a lot when I'm in these conversations, because uh, I end up with people of, of, of myriad faith. I tend to end up talking to atheists a lot, agnostics a lot, like more agnostics. There's not a lot of like staunch atheists anymore because atheism, you at least have to like say something is true. America likes agnosticism. Agnosticism is like, oh, can't can't, can't know, can't prove. I don't. Know why I look at it? I'm gonna go watch Netflix or whatever. That tends to be our default position. Um, Atheists are like, there definitively is no God, and that's a a very hard point to defend, but it's a very, it's a specific point. Agnosticism is just like, whatever, your faith is your faith and my truth is my truth. So the thing that I run into is against an agnostic who is, I don't know if God's real or not, is the evidence that I have, the truth, it's not really going to be useful to them so I end up having to go to outside sources, and if Pastor Gary is watching this sermon in a couple of weeks, um, he's going to be cringing right now because he doesn't like me to go to outside sources because who knows who I'm going to pick. Um, but in these, in these particular cases, maybe I won't cite the people who have, who have created these arguments, but there are actually philosophical arguments for God. You can actually prove God in a logic way. I'm a computer programmer. So I'm a a math equation guy, and so, like, I understand if A equals B and B equals C, then C equals A, right? I can write a logic statement like that. And so you can actually logically conclude that God's real even from a non-emotional standpoint. Now, I will warn you that these arguments are not necessarily intended to convert somebody to Christianity. I don't—I think they can pave the way— They can lay seeds, but Christianity, accepting God, accepting the faith of God, that's a heart transfer. It's not a brain transfer. So you can't intellectually convince somebody that God is real. They have to, uh, inside their spirit, accept God's real, that he made a sacrifice for them. But I do find these are useful because we do tend to, as Christians, run away from conversations that I like getting in, because I like fighting people that we're afraid that they're going to ask a question that we don't have the answer to. And I do find that these actually are useful. But what I found interesting about all three of them that I'm going to cite there's a bunch of them, but the, the three of them that I, I think are the most interesting they're all biblical. They're all backed up in Scripture. And so what I found was that I was actually able to reverse my car into the scriptural answers to these things using logical, philosophical conversation. Would it be at all possible for one of the people in the booth to get me a water? I'm pretty sure my voice is not gonna make it through the rest of this, (laughs) especially if I get emotional. I'm trying not to get emotional. They were very, very kind to leave me this tissue box right here in case I do. Genesis 1.1 The very beginning of the Bible In the beginning God created The heavens and the earth Thank you so much In the beginning God created The heavens and the earth So God's there We know he's there Because we're here Because the universe is here If you're a, a philosophy nerd Or an apologetics nerd uh, if if you have something to write down with, sh- I meant to get like paper in case y'all wanted to take notes. We don't have bulletins today, sorry. We, we're ringing it, so sorry. But I can you can talk to me after. I can tell you what these things are. But um, it's called the Kalam cosmological argument. If you K A L A M. If you just remember that, if you Google that, it'll autofill the rest of it. Um, basically, the the argumentation is nothing comes from nothing in existence. So everything that exists inside time has to be created at some point to exist. The universe exists in time, and therefore it had to have been created at some point, right? So that's the, the the science statement. The Kalam cosmological argument says that nothing can create itself, that things don't just pop into existence. Otherwise, thank goodness you'd like go to your kitchen at night and there'd be like a moose, just like whoop all of a sudden in your kitchen, or like, you know, there would be like trees, you know, sporadically growing and that kind of stuff. So everything has a that is created has to have a creator. And that creator is God. It then goes to define eventually it gets to sort of a Christian God, but it, it, it doesn't this particular argument doesn't say that it's the God we worship. It just is God. Whatever God is, God has to exist in some way. Otherwise his creation couldn't exist, if that makes any sense. And if you're an argument person like me, then now you're going, "Well, we'll create a God, and I can talk to you over lunch after that, if you want. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the Kalam cosmological argument. Isaiah 5:20: "Woe to those who call evil good and good evil." This is called the moral argument. That is to say that there is a such thing as good. there is a such thing as evil that it's not a subjective thing, that if I think it's fine to murder people, to murder babies, everybody here knows it's not fine to murder babies. Everybody here knows that's an evil thing that has happened. Genocides on the other side of the world, that's an evil thing that is happening. In order for it to be evil, there has to be good. In order for there to be good, There has to be a metric by which good is measured. There has to be somebody in charge of saying, that's good, that's evil. There's no person that is that powerful. That morality has to come from God. God is good, and therefore anything that God is for is good. Anything against God is evil, and that's the dividing line. Because that morality exists, God has has to exist. Otherwise, there is no good and evil. There's no basis for good and evil. So like in a worldly sense, for me, it would actually be a really great thing if there was a giant mass genocide on the other side of the world because that would be less competition for my daughter and her children. Does that make sense? So if there is no good and evil, the obliteration of whole people groups is actually a good thing in a natural sense, but it breaks my heart. Why do I care about like some why do I care about some little girl on the other side of the world that I don't know? She has no relevance to me. And she could potentially one day outcompete my daughter for something that's good for my daughter. Because she's a little girl. Because she has worth. And she shouldn't have to go through the stuff she's going through. Because she's the same as my daughter. She's God's daughter. She's my baby sister. That can't exist without good and evil. So that's the moral argument that God has to exist. Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Try as we might, with all of our great knowledge, we do not understand the human brain. We cannot replicate the intricacy of the design of a human being. We can't do it. And that says nothing for zooming out of that and getting into ecology, and getting into the whole planet, and getting into the way the universe works. And our math breaks down when you start putting it into black holes and that kind of stuff. So that's the intelligent design theory, if you've heard of this. it's A lot of science is actually starting to pick up on the idea that, like, dude, this can't just have happened. It's, it's too statistically improbable. Everything has to have been just perfect. And if it was a 0.1 degree off this way or 0.1 degree off this way, I just shorted that. It's like 0.00000001, but that number messes my head up. So we'll just say (laughs) 0.1. If it was a real little number off in either direction in terms of where the earth is in our solar system, in terms of the way it spins, in terms of Jupiter, I didn't realize this, but Jupiter actually keeps us from getting obliterated by meteors. Y'all know this? If, if Jupiter didn't exist, Earth would just get smashed by meteors all the time. But because Jupiter is so big and where it is, uh, the meteors, as they're coming into the inner solar system, they kind of hit Jupiter and Jupiter like pulls them back into itself. That's crazy. God gave us a bodyguard, like a space bodyguard. Jupiter's like the secret service of Earth. That's nuts. If that didn't exist, we wouldn't exist. All these tiny, tiny, tiny little details. And scientists are going dude, something made all this. It's a theory. It's a working theory in science. I happen to subscribe to it. So those three things are actually uh, secular arguments to prove that God exists, but they are backed up biblically in Genesis 1, Isaiah 5, Psalm 139. So... Talking about the design design for a second, do you know that math doesn't exist in nature? I did, somebody said that once, and I was like, huh? I don't quite understand what you mean. But what, what they were saying was that you're never walking through the woods and you just encounter three plus two equals five. Like you never, it's not a physical thing, but it exists as an explanation of existence, if that makes any sense. So it's the computer code behind the world. And that's the evidence that it was designed, because the code always is the same. The code always works. The math, the physics, they're always the same. Physics don't just change day-to-day haphazardly, which is a good thing, because, you know, you go into your kitchen and that moose that just popped into existence would all of a sudden, you know, shoot up to the ceiling and you'd have a terrible mess to clean up. So God is real. I can argue that with anybody, even from a non-biblical sense, even not. My experience, I know because I feel God, I hear God, but I can argue God is real, just from a logic standpoint. That gets us to who was Jesus. If you ask people, is God real? You actually, I found this to be actually interesting, is people tend to answer, yeah, I don't know anything about him. I don't, I don't know these necessarily the Christian God or the Muslim God or the you know, Jewish God, which I always kind of think is funny because they're all the same God, but people don't know that they have not studied enough to actually even know that part. They tend to say, "Yeah, there's something probably. Like, there's not a lot of people who are just standing on, on a hard edge saying there's, there's nothing. There's something. I just, you know don't know what it is, exactly. It's energy or whatever. And then if you get to who is Jesus? There's not a lot of people that are just like a bad, bad man. He was a bad guy, and not a lot of people that are willing to make that jump. Most people will make the jump of he was a teacher, he was a great man, leader of people. You know, they they tend to be willing to accept that he did exist. There are a few people that are just like Jesus never existed. He's made up. Um, if you Run into that person, talk to me after. I can. There's, there's actual historical document outside of the Bible that documents Jesus, which I think is interesting, um, but only because I'm a big, giant nerd. But even outside of the Bible, Jesus existed in writing. People reference him. So he is real, but who was he? Was he a great teacher? Was he a good guy? Everybody tends to default to that. I wonder if it's because they don't want to insult me because, you know, they know that I have him real high up and they want to be like, he's an idiot. But ultimately, there's really only a couple of possibilities, right? He is who he said he was, or he's a crazy person, or he's lying to everybody, right? So those are kind of the only three options. The documentation of him doesn't, he doesn't seem to be a crazy person. The following that he got, they seemed really convinced that he was who he said he was. So there's a lot of real world um, things. Him just lying about it, I'd have to wonder about his motive because ultimately what happened was he, let's say he lied about it to get power to get all these people to follow him. And then all the people said, hey, be our leader. And he was like, no, 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 that's not what this is. I got to go get killed in this horrible way. That's a weird play. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this story up about myself so that I can go get killed in this really awful way. That's a strange play. That doesn't make sense to me. In the Great Commission... It says Jesus is the Son of God. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son of God. John 1, the very beginning of John, backs this up. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, the Word. That's another name for Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's saying not only was God, was Jesus on this earth, the son of God. He was the son of God back in Genesis 1 when God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus was right there with him. I have to assume because like I have a familial relationship with my father that Jesus was standing there holding tools and stuff that he would like hand to him. And then God would be like, hey, can you go get my my riveter or whatever? And Jesus is like, what is that? He said, you know, tell him what it is. He has to go and get it that's the father-son relationship I have, I'm pretty sure Jesus is actually considerably more powerful than that. I don't think he's just the gopher for Father God. But he was certainly willing to accept the role of subordinate, right? Now I might make it. He was with God, and he was God. Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He was himself back then. When he walked this earth, he was himself. All the way into the future, he will always be the same. He'll always be the sacrifice. He'll always be the love of God. He'll always be that stuff. He's not changing. He's the son of God. God is not changing. Therefore, his son would not be changing. Which is good for me, because that's a great burden off of my shoulders. So I know when I'm standing in front of God, and he's like, what'd you do to get in here? That Jesus won't be like, just kidding, get him out of here, right? He He won't like change his mind when he sees me. He sees me for who I actually am. He saw me, how dirty I was, how dirty I am now, and how dirty I'll be until he cleans me up. And he said, I'm going to make a switch with you. I'm perfect. I'm the son of God. God is perfect. Therefore, God's son is perfect. And he trades me his perfection for my imperfection. He trades me his cleanliness for my dirtiness. Because he's the son of God. God wants me to be with him. God made a way for me to be with him in the son. And the son took up that role in obedience to the father. And amen to that. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. Amen to that. God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he bought all of your bad and he filled it back up with his good. He filled it back up with the perfection of his son. That's how much he loves you. Jesus is the son of God of God and therefore he is a worthy sacrifice to God. That's that makes my my intellect go out of my brain when I try to think of worthy of God chooses to climb down off of his throne. Chooses to leave his glory, chooses to walk the walk of a dirty old person. Does it perfectly to show that it can be done. And then after he is successful, he says, now let's trade. Let's trade my life for your life. That's nuts to me. It's so nuts to me that God even knows I exist anyway just because I'm a big science nerd. And so when I zoom back out to the size of a universe and then try to like pick myself out in the picture, you just can't do it. I'm too small. But God hears specifically my voice. That is bananas that he even knows I exist. And then that he loves me so much that he says, ah, oh, man, I got to do something to counteract this idiot. And the amount of mistakes he's made. I got to clean him up somehow. He's so messed up. There's no cleaning him up. I know. I'll sacrifice the thing that is the most important to me. I'll sacrifice my son. So that he can trade his perfection for that idiot. Whatever it is he's doing. then he looks at Jesus and says, you good with that? Jesus goes, bring it on. I love him too. That's nuts to me. That's a crazy system, but I'm glad they put it into place. I tend to, when I'm in conversations like like argument conversations or whatever, I tend to, I, I do establish generally some rules at the beginning. And one of them is I can't ask why God I can't answer why did God do it this particular way. I have no idea why God chose to do things the way He did. I have no idea why my daughter chooses to do the things she does, or my crazy wife chooses to do the things she does. And I like can see them in physical space. I know them very, very well. I'm actually mostly like I have to take responsibility for the behaviors of my kid because I'm kind of the one that's programmed her a good bit, along with my wife. So it's between us. I have no idea why she's doing the stuff she's doing. The other day, she just, she had a box full of stuff and she just winged it down some stairs. It's like, stuff flies everywhere. She's like, why did you just do that? Uh-huh. She doesn't even know why she's doing stuff, right? And so I don't ever try to explain why God put this crazy system into place. I just trust that that's the way it had to be. I trust that he knows better than me and that me with my silly little human brain, I'm not going to try to come up with a better system. God is real. Jesus is the son of God. What is the Bible? The Bible is the word of God. This one is the hardest for people. But it is the word of God. Teaching them To observe everything I have commanded you. What is everything that God has commanded us? It's all written down. That's bananas. That God wrote us an instruction manual. That God, he literally wrote it down. Make disciples of all the nations. That's what we're supposed to do with this. Here's the truth. Now go give it to everybody. That's our command. But it is the truth. It's the actual truth. I'm glad I'm using my Bible and not Finney's because I just realized I spilled a bunch of water on my Bible. (laughs) Sorry, Bible. It is the truth. It is the word of God. It's the message of God. It's the love letter that he wrote to us. It's the instructions. It's the assurance. Because I don't have to go into death not Knowing what's gonna happen. I know full well what's gonna happen. That actually for me gives me such a, a bigger life, a better actual worldly life, because I'm not scared of anything. What's it gonna do? Kill me? Bring it on. You sending me home, dude. I'm not scared of people, I'm not scared of events, I'm not scared of pandemic. I can still be responsible in a pandemic without being scared of it, afraid of it. And if it takes me off this world, sweet. Because I know I have a promise. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is breathed out by God. Proverbs 30 verse 5 Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. His word is breathed out by him, and every word of it is true. Therefore, this is not just the book. I get a lot this this answer is is tends to be where people divert from my faith. Um The Jesus part, maybe 25%. But I find that the overwhelming majority of even Christians, even Jesus-following, believing Christians, would answer when I say, what is the Bible? They will say, it's the instructions by God, but people have touched it. People have changed it. It's changed over, over the history. We know that's the case. I would argue that. But only because I'm a big nerd. But we know... You know, I know that God is real, but this is, you know, a a flawed version of his word. And so for those people, I tend to go with this response. So you believe there is a God, but you don't believe he's loving enough to write us a letter. Like you don't believe he loves us enough to help us understand what it is we need to do to get to him. Or do you not believe he's powerful enough to protect his own message? The creator of the universe is so powerful that he can't keep a guy from changing his message. That's the God you choose to believe in? He can't even protect his own marketing, right? He can't even protect his own message. How how powerful is that God really? So I find that there's, there's four possibilities of God. There are, there is no God, that is a possibility, in which case, nothing you do matters. It's all irrelevant, because in the end, the universe is over, and everything you did is wiped out, whether it was good or bad or whatever. There's not a good or bad anyway, that's the other thing. But ultimately, if you spend your whole life doing good, or if you spend your whole life killing people, it all equals zero in the end, in the eventual heat death of the universe. Make sense? Or, there's three possibilities for God. One is that God is real, that he is all-powerful, but not loving. He really did create all this. He really does control everything, but he doesn't love me enough to tell me how to get to him. He doesn't love me enough to save me from my own flaws. In which case, it doesn't matter what I do. It all comes out to zero because eventually the universe is destroyed and he didn't get me out of the universe before it was destroyed and everything that I did is erased. So it's all zero. Or God is loving but not powerful. He loves me so much, but he can't save me. There's nothing he can do to save me, and maybe it breaks his heart because he loves me so much, but there's nothing he can actually do to get me out of my own sin and to him, to his perfection. In which case, everything I do doesn't matter because it all equals zero because eventually the universe explodes and whatever, whatever. So those three possibilities all ultimately equal the same thing. They all equal nothing. Or God is real, and God is powerful, and God is loving. Loving enough to get me to him. Powerful enough to get me to him. And that God is the perfect description of the Bible God. That's the only description of the Bible God. He's powerful. He's loving. I know how to get to him. That's a hard thing for even Christians, though, because let's be honest, this is the sucker punch. There's some stuff in here we don't like. There's some stuff in here that makes us say words that we don't want to say. There's stuff in here that's countercultural, and we want to be accepted by culture. So what we do is we just take that part out. Let's just not talk about that part. I don't like that part. That was, that was added many years ago when culture was different. Now culture is different, so that part no longer applies. God doesn't change. God didn't change. When he wrote it down in that culture, he knew it would exist in our culture. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't mess up. We didn't progress in a different way than he thought we were going to. The message he gave me is this one right here in physical space. So every word in it is God breathed. Every word in it is true. Revelation has a very stern warning for us if we start making up our own scripture. I warn everyone who hears the word of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, God will take away his share of the tree of life and in the holy city, which is described in this book. Don't put words in my mouth. Don't erase parts, things that I have written down. Or else, or else. American culture has decided that God is evil. Are you aware of this? It's decided that God is evil because he's not inclusive. I argue that point. I don't have enough time to argue that point, but I would argue that God, in fact, the Christian God is the only all-accepting God. He's the only God that did the work needed. He's the only God that is powerful enough to get me to him. But I don't have time to argue that point. But because he loves us so much, he gives us the choice to reject him. Which is, by the way, the only way love can exist. That's the way it has to be for love to exist. You have to be given the option to reject your partner in order to choose them. If I loved my wife so much, and she chose to reject me back before we were married, or now, I guess. It happened now. And I just chained her up in the basement and kept her anyway. That's not love. That's kidnapping. <laughs> that's a crazy person. That's a person we make movies about, and they are not the good guy. But when we take that, we look at God and we say, well, he should have done it some other way some way that I can't reject them. Well, that's not love. You can't love without choice. It's impossible. And so he gives everybody that choice. Look, I love you. I've done all the work. All you got to do is take my hand. Or not. But that part's up to you. That's the only part that I've left. But I left you that part because I'm not going to force you to do something you don't want to do. That's the definition of inclusion. It's available to everybody. In our attempt to stay with culture, unfortunately, there's some stuff in this book that is counter-America culture. I, as a Christian, have to choose this book because it's God-breathed and it's true. Is God real? Yes. Who was Jesus? He was the son of God. He was the sacrifice for me. He was the sanctification for me. The redemption for me. He willingly took on that role and he died for me. That if I accept his offer, I'm worthy of God. How could I possibly know that? What is the Bible? It is the Complete and inerring word of God. God God-breathed and true. Amen? Amen. Amen? So as you go out of here, don't be afraid of people out there and talking about this stuff. Because somebody out there needs to hear this. Somebody in your family needs this. Somebody in my family needs this. And if I don't tell them about it, who will? And if I put it off till maybe the next time we get together or maybe the next time. And then God forbid they have a stroke. And just like that, they don't wake up again. when I'm by their bedside there will be no joy in my heart I will feel like a failure whoever that person is to you that you're thinking of right now somebody popped into your head when I said it don't wait don't wait anymore amen Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity, short notice though it may be. Maybe next time give me a couple days. But anytime you call me, I'm here. Anytime you call me, I'm going to show up. Thank you for being a God that's worthy of that. Thank you for being a God who loves me enough to get me to you. If you've been listening to my voice and you don't know that God, I got incredible news for you. Sacrifice was still made for you. Jesus still died for you. The offer's still on the table. All you got to do is say, God, I accept it. I know I'm a sinner. I know you're perfect. And I know your perfect son died for my sins. I accept your offer. Let me trade That's it. And just like that, you're in the family of God. If you've been feeling distant from God, He didn't move. He didn't run away. Go back home. He's got a cloak and a ring for you. Father God, I'm sorry I've run away from you. I'm sorry I've tried to do it my own way. I want to get back to you. I liked it better when I was closer to you. Put people in my life that are going to drive me towards you. I'm sorry I love you. Father God, we are sorry that we have allowed culture to change your truth. Give us the strength to be your soldiers and to fight for your truth. Father God, I'm sorry when I disagree with you. But I know that you're fine with me disagreeing with you. I'm allowed to disagree with you because you love me, but that doesn't make me right. You're always right. You're always right. And say, so even when I don't like what you're telling me to do, or even when I don't like what you're saying, help me to kneel at your feet. You are good, you are true. You are everything. Help us to take that message outside of these walls and worship you with our life. We love you so much. Amen.